Good morning, everybody. Today I am just honestly touched by my frailty and sinfulness and weakness and immaturity and how often I fail and yet how great God's love is for me. And uh, this morning, no sugarcoating, what I, what I, I, I want you to know, I'll just get right to it, is how unbelievable the love of our God is for us. Pastors are trained to cry at the end of their sermons. But I won't start there. Um, start with this. Life is complicated, and I, it's complicated because of the things I just said, because we are sinners and, and we are weak vessels that live on this earth. And and so life is difficult, right? And, and you face difficult situations. And you face things where, where you don't know what the right decision is what you should do, how you should do it, uh, what's the best approach to take to make something happen that you think that God has called you to. And sometimes you're just put in situations because of your weakness, because of your humanness, that causes it so that you, you don't know what the best answer is, what the right thing is to do. Hopefully you're thinking about the right thing, but sometimes even when we, even when we are, it's difficult to figure out what that might be. And, um situation from my life that that I think about that I remember is uh, my my biological grandfather had a a couple of strokes and um, he went to a memory care unit and he needed to have people with him as much as possible and I'm looking at my dad and and my uncle and the rest of my family who are, are trying to be there for him but they have jobs and lives and they have things that they need to do and especially my dad is like just busting his butt to try to do everything that, that needs to get done in order to take care of doctor's bills and things like that. And, and I am thinking kind of two things. It was like, I really need to be there for my grandpa. I need to be there for my dad to help him. But I'm a pretty busy guy, and I have a ministry to do, and I think God wants me to do my ministry. And one of these things seemingly has to suffer right now. It's one of those situations in life where if I'm perfect, if I'm awesome, then I, I kind of would have figured that out and balanced that perfectly. But for me, it was something very difficult. What is it that I should do? Because both of these things seem so right and so wrong at the same time. And life is full of things like that where it's like, I don't know what to do, God. And this is kind of the context of, of the passage of Scripture on prayer that we'll look at in just a moment. Uh, Jesus starts Matthew chapter 7. By saying this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Fair enough, right? It's famous. Everybody who's sinning and doesn't want to hear about it uses this verse. Hey, the Bible says don't judge. Every person that that doesn't want to be confronted with their sin, that doesn't want to think about the fact that they need the Savior Jesus, always comes out with this. Doesn't the Bible say something that you're not supposed to judge? And so how can you say that I'm a sinner? Right? I mean, you've probably, if you've ever talked to somebody that's not a Christian about Jesus, this is kind of the verse. And it's here, they're right. Okay? And then later, verse 6, here's what Jesus says Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Do you see the paradox? Verse 1, don't judge anybody. Verse 6, 
Make a decision about who you're not going to give your treasure to. I think it's actually a reference in my studies to the gospel story. Make a decision about who at this point is, is not somebody you should share the gospel with because they're just going to tear it down and destroy it. And, and really in the end, it's going to cause them to turn further away from the truth of Christianity. You think, well, that's kind of judgmental. Right? I mean, Jesus, I mean, you could have got like 10 verses apart with those two verses at least. But I mean, five verses separating do not judge and make a judgment call about the place people are in life and who's a pig and who's a dog. I mean, that, whoa. I mean, now you're just throwing names out, Jesus. I thought you said not to judge. It's this paradox that seemingly has no right and no wrong answer. I mean, what am I supposed to do, Jesus? I mean, you said not to judge, but now you're asking me quite literally to make a judgment call about people. In the midst of this difficulty, and I think it applies to far more than just difficulty in making right and wrong decisions. I think it applies to the difficulties of life. Jesus teaches us on prayer, which is our, our topic over the next four weeks. So let's listen to how he starts with this context in mind. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. One of the most famous, I think it's one of the three most famous, actually, statistically, verses in the entire Bible. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, here's, here's the thing. There's a couple different theories. Some people think that this is just one big reference to prayer and they're all synonymous with each other. I'm not one of those people. I think that actually Jesus is using a progression here. Ask is the first step. Seek is a little bit more intense. Knock is a little bit greater, takes a little more effort. And there's two ways to see this. In the past, when, I, when I've talked about it, I've really focused on the action. And, and, and I'm not sure that, it, that it's fully right. I think my, my second idea that I'll give you in, in a minute is better now. But in the past, I've really focused on the action. This is an analogy I used, and it's pretty good for what it means to ask and seek and knock. Pretend that a young child is with their mother. And they're in a grocery store, a department store, or wherever they might be. And all of a sudden, the mom turns around and her child is gone. The first thing she's going to do is she's going to start asking, hey, Johnny, where are you? John, where are you? Where are you? Hello, hey, come back here right now, right? I mean, that's what's going to happen. Then she's going to start desperately and frantically seeking. She's going to look around. She's going to go up and down aisles. She's going to do whatever she can do to find him. And then after this, she's going to take even further action. She's going to get his name paged over the page, or she's going to be pushing open doors. She's going to be doing whatever she needs to do to find her son. And I think when Jesus talks about asking and seeking and knocking in the context of prayer, I think in some ways he is showing that type of progression. He is saying, hey, if you have a situation in life that you need to pray about, you ask God, then you seek, and then you knock. You ask, then you look, then you do something about it. An example, the easiest example is looking for work, right? It's really simple to sit around and go, hey, God, I need a job. It's much more difficult, really, to get online and say, I'm going to get online and try to find jobs. I'm going to get on Craigslist. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to find a job that is open. And then it's even more difficult than if you fill out an online application lately you know this is like a huge step forward you have to fill out these applications online this is what knocking is in jesus context is doing something it's not just seeking it's saying i'm gonna do my best to make this happen and so in some ways i think what jesus is saying 
think this is a nuance here. When you pray, if you want to pray in a way that produces results, if you want to pray in a way that matters, that God is going to respond to and say yes to you, then don't be a person who just sits in the room going, hey, God, help the starving people out there in the world today. Be a person who says, okay, where are they? And now what can I do about it? Don't just be a person who asks. Be a person who also seeks and also knocks, does something about it. But I think even more to this passage of Scripture, I think Jesus is saying that that we need to not just ask in our intensity in prayers. You see, I think Jesus' real progression, kind of the, the, the more to the point idea here, is that when we ask, we shouldn't just ask, we shouldn't just seek, but we should knock. We should seek with a passionate desire. I think what Jesus is saying in some ways is that it's not like, hey, God. I mean, how many times do you pray this? Can you do that thing? I got to go. See you later. Amen. Right? That's how most of the time American Christians approach their prayer life. I think seeking is a big step up from that, and knocking is an even greater step up. It's a passionate intensity that draws us to our knees where we're like, God, I need you, and I need you to give me the right advice. I need you to give me the right decision. I need you to show me what to do. I need your help with this thing. Now, this is anecdotal, but I have noticed in my life that the more intense my prayers are, the more passionate they are, the more often God seems to say yes to them. I've noticed that the more I pray with passion and fervor and intensity, the more often God says yes to the things that I'm asking. And I really think that Jesus has that in mind. You're saying, look, yeah, ask and God will say yes, but also knock and seek. Take your prayers to the next level. You look at the greatest Christians in the history of the world. You look at them and you you think about who they are and what they've done. And you quickly, if you start reading their biographies and examining their lives, you quickly realize that they were not men of little prayers. They were men of great prayers. There's a great story about Billy Graham, whom I'm sure you have heard of. This guy was feeling jealous about Billy Graham. Why him? I'm just as good of a speaker. Uh, Why is he leading all these people to Jesus and I'm not? I mean, what is going on here? And one day he came back to the hotel room not knowing that Billy was still in the hotel room. And he walked in and Billy Graham was face down, crying out to God, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And the guy says, I think he would still admit this, he walked out going, now I know why God is using that man and not me. The truth is, I believe with with my heart. The more real, that's the word I generally use, the more real our prayers are, not like I should do this because it says I should do it and because we're talking about it at church, but the more real and the more intense our prayers, the more often we see results. We see the hand of God moving in our lives. Jesus flips in the next verse the language. He almost says the same thing. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, what's interesting about this is that the language reflects a slightly different nuance. And really what the nuance is reflecting here is that Jesus is pointing to the faithfulness of God. In the first verse, he says, hey, you need to do this. talks about how God will respond, but he's focused on you and what you need to do. In the second verse, verse 8, he says, look, God is faithful to answer your prayers. Here's the interesting part about about this kind of section right here. Ask, seek, and knock. 
The words are stated in the present imperative form of Greek. There's two things there in the present imperative form. One, it's present tense. Jesus isn't saying, hey, ask sometime in the past and it's going to be done for you. Jesus is saying, ask, seek, and knock. The truth is, and we'll talk more about this in a passage in the next couple of weeks, a lot of times we're like, hey, God, please do this for me, and then we forget about it and we never come back to it. But I think that Jesus is saying, With the use of this word, hey, be a person who continually is asking and seeking and knocking for the things that you need, for the advice that you want from God. Now, here's the other part. It's imperative. Imperative means kind of what I just said. It means to be intense about something. Jesus is saying, ask, seek, knock. And I think what he's saying to you is don't be a guy or a woman that just sits around and is like, hey, whatever, God, but just have some some intensity. Recognize that God does say yes to prayers and ask him like you like you have no other option in the world because sometimes you don't have any other option in the world. And so Jesus focuses on on our intensity in prayer and he focuses on God's faithfulness. And I don't want you to rip it out of context. I want you to say, well, this is a license to get everything I want. I talked about this a lot last week. The truth is... It's clear in our lives and it's clear in Scripture that God does not say yes to every prayer. And so sometimes when we see ask, you receive, what we do is go, well, God doesn't say yes to everything. So I'm not even going to think about how Jesus is promising that God will, often at least, if you're listening to the language, say yes to our prayers. And what we do is we don't want to be people who who at all are, are thought to think that God says yes to every prayer. And so we go all the way to the other end and we're like, just ignore what Jesus is saying here. And that is that God wants to say yes to your prayers, especially the prayers that are made with fervor and intensity. Now, before I read the, the next part here, um, I'm going to do something very different. Uh, I'm going to ask a very special person, my dad, to come up on stage with me here. And so, did he leave? Stage fright? My dad's going to come up here, and we're, we're just going to have a conversation. And if you're kind of ahead of the game, uh, if, you're, if you're paying attention, then you'll know where we're going. But I think that this will illustrate perfectly. Come to my hand. Are we supposed to ah, thanks. Oh, come on over. Yeah, so the, the, the good thing? people can see you. much less lonely up here with somebody else. So I'm just going to ask my dad a few questions, and he'll respond. It's fun, huh? Yeah, I'm excited. He's loving this right now. Um, Okay, here it is. Ready? Describe your feelings on the day of my birth and the time surrounding it. Okay. It's kind of funny because, you know, I'm not too nervous. I'm a little nervous. I do this in front of a thousand middle schoolers a lot, literally the whole school. And you scare me more than that. And that's strange, I know. So, and, and I've done this now several times. I wrote it. I wasn't going to write it, but I wanted to make sure I said it right. And sometimes I get a little emotional. The older I get, the more that happens. I don't know what's going on. Um, <clears throat> but the day you were born. So there's about four things I want to say. Um, so I was scared to death. Um, I had no idea what to do or how to do it. It reminded me of the time when um, I have a cousin, Paul. He's a little older than me. He loves war board games. Um, and he came over to play it with me and it had, uh, seriously, a million pieces. 
and the board unfolded in like 10 different weird ways and it had no directions. And so Paul assured me that he would explain how to play the game and I didn't get it, still don't get it. <clears throat> when Chad was born, I was young, I was clueless. I had no idea how to play the game. I was scared. I was also very aware that my life was no longer just my life. It reminds me of the country song, There Goes My Life, where Kenny Chesney, I hope it's him, talks about all the things that he wants to do, and all of a sudden he has a baby. I was struck with the realization that this little seven-pound baby boy was now what my life needed to be about. Any selfish ambition I had now needed to be redirected to taking care of him, you, However, as he was put in my arms the day he was born, I realized the song wasn't There Goes My Life, but it was more like There Goes My Life in Another Direction, a better direction, a more focused direction. The day Chad was born, his life became my life and my life became his. Everything I did was with him in mind. Even the job I chose, teaching, uh, I chose largely because I knew that I could coach him, I could go on vacation with him, and I can hang out with him. And I remember uh, an older guy I used to play softball with, I, I remember he quit to coach his son when I was younger, and I used to think, oh, that's horrible for this guy. He loves softball, and I love softball too. Um, and, I, and I just thought, oh, boy, I would never do that. I would never have more fun coaching my son than me playing. And um, I, I realized that that wasn't the case. I had a million times more fun coaching my son for nine years than I ever did playing. I was relieved. The closer it got to your birth, the more I began to think of all the things that could go wrong. I was worried. I began to get extremely worried, and I was extremely relieved when you were a healthy seven-pound baby boy. And lastly, with that question, Chad, the day that they put me in your arms was the day that my I heart... I think they put you in your arms <laughs> that day. It was a very unique birth. I was really strong. <laughs> the day that um, the nurse put you in my arms um, is the day that you took my heart. You remember when I switched schools? Yeah. I, I do, Chad. There you go. Um, <laughs> can you talk about how? Can you talk about how you helped me through that time? So Chad, uh, Chad's mother moved a lot, um, and I, I think I figured out that once that Chad would have actually gone to 20 different schools um, with the amount of time that you moved, um, and, I, and I realized right away, and I, and I asked your mom, I, I said, is, you know, I know you're moving a lot, and Albany, I think, was the furthest that you moved, and so I, I asked her if it was um, okay if I can come and get you, and it wouldn't be a stress to her. Um, if you could continue to be in my school district, because I didn't move a lot. Um, and so, uh, and I appreciate that about your mother, too, that she allowed that to happen. So I remember when you first started at Kennedy Elementary that you came home one day, you were sad because uh, you didn't have any friends. It was the first time that you had gone from your mother's school to my school, I think, first grade? Yeah, and Felicia had switched schools. I do. I do. That's right. So, so it was first grade, and I remember um, asking you if you had approached anyone or attempted a conversation, and you had told me no. And so I explained to you that um, I 
I wanted you to find some random person every day. You didn't remember this yesterday when I talked, but I would somehow was able to ride the bike with you for the first week or two of school, and and you said you would. You'd find some dude to <laughs> talk to. I don't know what you said. Hey, I'm Chad. Um, and so you did. I, I think maybe uh, Yasser was probably the first person you, you did it to, and he became a really good friend. Um, and so the next day I asked you, and you said, yes, you had you had talked to somebody, and I continued to ask you that, and you continued to talk to people every day. You, I think you continued to do that. I didn't stop. And you made some really good friends um, within that first year, and you were able to continue that friendship in the middle school and high school. We started to pick a we, meaning my mom or my dad or me, we'd pick you up early every morning so that we could take you back home and give you a bath. I cared about how you were perceived. I wanted you to connect to the right kids. I wanted to protect your reputation. I wanted kids not to make fun of you. So every day, myself or your grandparents would get up from work or from bed, and I would get up before work so you could figure out the time. We'd go get you, we'd bring you back so that you would be properly ready for school. And you became very liked and well-respected in that school. I think you were even the president or something of the student body before you ended the sixth grade. I'd be vice president, but that's oh, what dads are for. Um, <laughs> question number, I'm going to skip to the, I'm going to skip one and come back. So, um, so. I'm not, I'm not prepared. You got to ask him in order. You got you can flip the paper, right? Uh, we spent quite a bit of time on the golf course together. Only one time have you finished injured. I think it was only one time. <laughs> Can you tell that story? So we do this golf tournament every uh, every year called the Meisters, not the Masters. Go Tiger. Um, but most of the most of the time, it's always in the fall. I don't know. Oh, we started in the fall because you were doing uh, always doing all stars. So we were we all kind of waited, and I don't know, 18, 19 years now we've done this. Uh, we waited for, and I was involved with that because I always coached All-Stars, so we waited until that was done to do it. But we, we, we were always pretty lucky with the weather. But one year we, we hit that, I don't know if you saw the movie, The Perfect Storm. But one year we hit The Perfect Storm. And on that particular year we actually decided to, um, to do it at the coast. We made these arrangements a month ahead of time. So we're driving to the coast, and it, it is the worst day you have ever seen in Oregon. And you can imagine if it's bad in Salem, how bad it is at the coast. And we're sitting at McDonald's in Lincoln City because we were a little early. And we're all of us are, and it's a pretty big group. We have different foursomes going off. And we're sitting there and we're looking out the window. And it's like, I remember Forrest Gump saying it rained every way. It came from above. It came from the left. It came from the right. It came from up above. It was, the wind was at 30 miles an hour. And we're yeah, a bunch of dudes. So, and this was your first year or second or? Uh, yeah, I think it was my second year doing it. And so you're like, oh, no, no, let's go, let's go, let's go. So I'd still do the same thing. <laughs> so we went, and so we got the carts, and Chad and I shared a cart, and all the carts, if I remember right, all the carts that have the the tarp around it, guy, people who golf, um, they were out of those. So Chad and I got the cart without any tarp around it. It's like going out in a convertible on the worst day in, of the year. Freezing. Uh, it, we're getting close to the uh, uh, to the end. Um, we're soaking wet, and uh, we can't feel our hands. 
And my brother Mike is notorious for leaving his pitching wedge um, always. I mean, he's gone through more pitching wedges. And if you golf, you, your pitching wedge is something you use around the green. And many times you leave the golf cart, take the pitching wedge and the putter. When you're done pitching, you put the putter down. And, and or sorry, the pitching wedge is down, and then you forget it. So Chad and I volunteer to go get the um, pitching wedge um, a hole or two back. Now, if you've ever been on a coast course, they're built very hilly, like very, very hilly. Um, and so we're going down, and I'll, I'll read here. Um, we're going to down this very, very steep hill. I realized that I was going way too fast, and I hit the brakes. As I hit the brakes, the cart didn't respond, not even a little like I didn't touch the brakes. We were fastly approaching the end of the trail, and we weren't stopping. I remember thinking that depending, depending on which way I turned the golf club wheel, that we would skid either to the driver's side or to the passenger side. I knew that um, the probability of the cart flipping was high. Uh, I knew that if it, um, the, if it happened to be the person, sorry, I knew that if it flipped, the person who the skid was towards would probably fall out of the cart and it would land on them. In, a, in an instant, I decided that I needed to turn to make the cart land on me. As I did so, the cart skidded in my direction, and it, and it did flip. And as it flipped, I put my leg out and tore my ACL. Um, I guess that the point of the story is that the entire incident took maybe three seconds but in times like this, when you really don't have time to think, I chose to protect my heart, the thing that makes us live. And remember, the day Chad was born, I gave him my heart, that 12-year-old son that I gave my heart to in the delivery room in Salem, Oregon, was in the passenger seat. Um, and without thought, uh, I needed to save that heart, which belonged to you. And so I... I I made the right decision, and and I don't. Tell, I, it's not like I'm use that story all the time and say, "Hey, remember when I did this for you?" <laughs> um, but I know it's a story that you tell and you think about it a lot. He told me he needed to tell that story in front of all of you, <laughs> and he doesn't. He didn't. He left out the part that he tore his ACL and he kept the cart up. Oh, the cart didn't flip. Yeah, it started to flip and he kept it up. Good thing you work out. Um, last question. Tell everyone about the time it was a possibility uh, that I would move to Oklahoma and how you responded. So one morning before school, we had picked Chad up. Actually, that morning, your mom may have taken you. Uh, that's right. Um, Chad, uh, your mom had told you the night before that you were moving to Oklahoma. And she, she was pretty, it sounded like pretty serious, and you believed that that was going to happen. You were crying. You were very upset. You realize that if this happened, you would have to leave your school, your friends, and your family. I picked you up. I put you in my lap. We sat in a rocking chair. I put a blanket over you. I looked you in the eye, and I told you that the day you moved to Oklahoma was the day I would quit my job, get on a plane, and move into the house next door to the house you'd move into. You knew I wasn't just saying it. You knew I was dead serious. I had a good job, and it didn't matter. I told you I'd flip burgers at McDonald's. 
you calm down? Because you knew I did mean it. If the kid who had my heart was moving to Oklahoma, I was moving to where my heart was going to be. A person can't live without their heart. Jesus is talking about prayer. Let me read you the next three verses. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. The answers to the questions are obvious, right? Talked to you guys before about the love my dad has for me, and it's a major blessing. And Jesus here says, hey, if he knows how to give good gifts, then how much more the Father in heaven? Say this, you might not believe me now, but my dad's not perfect. Like all kids, there's things that I'll do differently when we have children. I know his failures, I know his struggles, and I know things that he's done wrong and wishes he could do again. And yet, the love that he has for me is beautiful and amazing, awesome. And Jesus says here, if he can do it, Jim Harms can do it, then how much more your Father in heaven? The Bible tells us that, that when we become Christians, we become God's children. And he becomes our Father. And he isn't just some Father, he is the Father. Here, here is what I know. I know this because I know my dad. When I come to my dad and say, Dad, I screwed up, did something wrong, I failed. My dad doesn't sit around going, Hey, feel guilty for two weeks, then come talk to me again and I'll help you out with that situation. My dad says it's okay. Let's make it better. Let's make it right. And I know that if I came to my dad and said, Dad, I have a need. We messed up with our bills and I need money. That's happened. He doesn't look at me and say, hey, say some magical words. You know, talk me into it. He says, if I'm able, even if it puts a financial burden on me, I'm going to help you out. Man, for those of us who are Christians, we need to stop praying like God is this guy out there that doesn't care about us and start recognizing that he is the perfect father, not just an amazing father. And it changes how we pray. Doesn't it? I mean, 
I would never be hesitant to go to my dad and say, Dad, I screwed up. I need your help. Dad, I don't know what to do. Will you please tell me? That would never happen because I know the love that he has for us. And God tells us that he, if we give our lives to him through Jesus, becomes our heavenly father. And when it comes to prayer, it must dramatically change the way in which we approach it. But this morning... More than that, my prayer is on you who just don't get the love of the Father. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian for a very long time. But you don't know the love of my God. I just want you to know it. Truthfully, it may be hard for you to understand. Some of you have had horrible dads. Some of you just have dads that would never have quit their job. In fact, they wouldn't even stop working for a little bit. Some of you have dads who would have flipped the cart on you. Some of you have dads that never would have taken you golfing. But that's not the kind of dad that our God is. He loves you with a passion. Despite the fact that, that you will fail And you will do things wrong. And he looks at you if you give your life to Jesus. And and, and it's like, there it is. There's my newborn baby. That person has been born into the family of God. And he loves. Tell you what. I'm just blown away. By the love of God. I have a great model of that. But I want you to be blown away by it too. Because you're going to live your life wishing that you understood the love of God until you understand the love of God. So just, you don't have to believe me, but I would not get through this life without the love of my father. I don't mean the man who just stood in front of you and talked. It would be much harder without him. But I don't mean him. I would never get through this life without knowing and understanding that God loves me because I do stupid stuff. I don't think sometimes. I fail. I need help. When you know the love of the Father, you know where you can go for all of those things. You want to pray for results? Ask, seek, and knock, recognizing that we don't pray to an impersonal God. We don't pray to some being that wound up the world and said good luck down there. We pray to a God who loves us like a dad. And it's funny to think about this, but I would tell you, I would tell you how amazing it was to grow up in my dad, earthly speaking's household. You know what he would tell you? He would tell you how amazing it was to have me as a son. And the truth is, he would say, I would say, man, it was so easy, like knowing how to live life with an example like him. And you know what he would say? It was really easy raising Chad. And I would say, man, I can't believe that you that you changed your life to coach me. And he'd say, wow, I'm glad I could be there with you. That's our God. It's like, 
I'm sure for as blown away as I am by him, I would be even more amazed to know that he's looking down going, I'm proud of you. Because he shouldn't be. But yet he is because he loves as the perfect father in heaven. Will you pray with me, Lord? Thank you that I grow up with a dad that showed me what you were like. Lord, I'm aware, all too aware, that not everybody that's listening had that experience, that benefit. But I pray it wouldn't stop them from loving you. God, I pray that anybody who's listening, they've been a Christian for a long time, or they don't know you at all, they would decide today to embrace the love of a father. I can't believe, God, how many people you have your arms out towards. And Lord, they're pushing you away. You're saying, hey, I love you. And they're saying, well, I don't care. I knew some mean Christians once, whatever it might be. But let them just be swept up in your love this morning. Let us all be swept up in your love this morning. I pray, God, for those of us who know your love. That we would let it matter to our lives. We wouldn't hold sins against ourselves that you've forgotten. God, we wouldn't sit around going, I wish I had some help in this situation. But we would approach you knowing that you want to help us. And you are able, Lord, to help us. God, let us know the tremendous love that you have for us. It's the only reason we can love you back. God, I thank you for giving us your heart. And I pray that we would give our hearts back to you.